Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Baseball is Good. My name is Corey Engelhart. I am the host. Tonight is episode number 37, and I'll bring my guest on in just a minute, and we can get the show started. Um, I've, I've thought about this in the past, though, before I get the show started, um, and I haven't really brought it up, but if I, I, I'll just throw it out there. If, if anyone is out there that would like to um, be a part of, of my podcast or um, help sponsor an episode or a season or sponsor potentially maybe a down payment on a new house eventually or um, my love of 1950s uh, near mint baseball cards. If anybody's interested in sponsoring anything along those lines, um, please uh, please send me a note, uh, send me an email or or write through Twitter and, and um, you are more than welcome for any of those. Uh, all right, uh, after that note, I'm going to uh, bring my guest on here in a minute and we'll get the show started. One not a minute, one second here. Uh, Matt, are you there? I am here. What's up? Oh, not much. How about yourself? Uh, you know, just another another Thursday in, in life. So I'm, I'm doing good. I'm happy to be <laughs> here, though. I'm excited. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate your time. I'm uh, I'm going to let you do the introductions, but you ha- you have a very uh, unique Twitter handle, and I think that's how we got connected in the first place. So, how about you tell people who you are and and uh, what what you do? I guess. All right. So yeah, I'm, I'm Matt Burke. Um, you know, I, I grew up a big Twins fan. Uh, I was part of a military family, though. Uh, you know, my we moved from Air Force Base to Air Force Base growing up, so I've I've lived all around, but um, big twin tanks, that's where my, my both my parents are originally from. And today I run the uh, cold, at Cold Take Twins on Twitter. Uh, and then I just, I kind of, you know, and when fans are out there spewing their cold takes, trying to say that Joe Mauer's bad or, you know, just various things about the twins that are just blatantly untrue, I like to, I'm out there looking. So I'm, I'm, on, I'm on watch. <laughs> that makes sense. So, yeah, you... Uh, just to be clear, you are not the Matt Burke that uh, went to Creighton and St. Paul and then played center for the Minnesota Vikings for a number of years. Is that correct? No, I, I am not that Matt Burke. I've I've been to Minnesota many times. I've never actually, you know, physically lived there. My my mailing address has never been a, a Minnesota address. That would have been cool, though, to play center <laughs> for the Vikings. Sure. Yeah, you don't – so I, I think of the movie um, – office space you you don't ever have to like do you make a point to say like you're Matthew Burke or I suppose it's a few years after that that player retired like you don't have to hide the fact that that is your name correct no I I don't have to hide it (laughs) that helps just like I forget was it Yanni or who was who was the guy that Michael Bolton that's what it was from office space where the other guy had to go by Mike Bolton Anyway, sorry. I was just curious on that. So you you have started a um, – the at is Twins Cold Takes on Twitter. Cold That's twins. correct. Is it Cold Twins Takes or Twins Cold Takes? I think I cold, might have written Cold Take Twins Twitter. is the na- – yeah, the, the handle is uh, Twins Cold Takes, and then Cold okay. Take Twins is the name, so. Okay, so – I, I guess I, I'm going to start off by just asking, like, why why was this a thing that you wanted to start? Like, what um, was it about educating the masses? Was it about just venting and getting away from your reality for a little bit? What what was the purpose of 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 the Twitter handle that you started? So th- those things are definitely played a part. One of one of my favorite accounts that I always get a laugh out of is freezing cold takes. So I'll I'll give a shout out there. <laughs> it's kind of sure. just a general the entire the entire sports world. So mine's more of a, a hyper focused version of that, a little <laughs> bit. And it was it was in late August. I kind of just got fed up with some of the negativity as the team was turning it around. You know, there mm-hmm. there was ev- everybody was mad about the trade deadline and how they didn't buy. And everybody was mad that Jorge Polanco was about like one for 800 at one point during the season. Mm-hmm. And there was just this perfect storm of things where I kind of just looked at it and I'm like, this team isn't that bad. Like we got to, you know, 
this is a team that's going to win 80-something games, and they've – was it like four of the last five years they lost over 90? They lost over 100 the year before, and – yeah. It's kind of the perfect storm at the at the end of at the end of August. I think the first game it was up for was the game where Max Kepler got hit by the pitch at the end mm-hmm. of the game uh, for the for the walk off and in extras. And even that, it was something. Sure. You know, I think Matt Belial that was one of his only blown saves. I mm-hmm. think, and everybody was kind of fed up with Belial. It was actually pretty good down the stretch. Um, yeah, but. Yeah, it was it was a combination of a lot of things that that made me create the account. Huh? Yeah, small small world sort of. That was one of two games I actually attended in person last year. So I remember well, there that we one go. very it well. It was a day game. Yeah, yeah. I went with my dad. It was one of the few moments I had away from my kids last year. It was it was memorable <laughs> for that in a lot of ways. But it was it was a fun end of the year after the August deadline. They they certainly played like a team that hadn't been seen around um these parts i guess you could say for six seven years at the very least it was it was a fun end of the year yeah i I forgot how much fun a playoff race was uh i I remember Mm -hmm. the last time they made the playoffs 2010 uh i had a fall ball high school baseball game and so and i we were living on long island at that time and okay. I had kind of like on the bus ride home, you know, in the afternoon, there was, uh, I think it was the game, the, the game they clinched. I'm just going around like, all right. And this is, you know, right when every high schooler is getting a smartphone around that time. And I'm just like, okay, like nobody says anything about the game. I got it on TiVo. Remember <laughs> TiVo? That was a thing. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I was, I was so excited for like playoff race baseball that, I was going to, you know, watch the game. It, it was in the fifth inning or so when I got home. I was going to try to watch him <laughs> clinch, kind of moving up. You know, that that's how excited I was for, for playoff baseball. But that was, you know, I just – the last seven years where this was exciting mm-hmm. again. It was it was awesome. Sure. Well, yeah, so I guess I started off the first the, – the one question I ask everybody on this show that we can start off here is um, – why baseball? Like, what what got you into loving the sport? Was there were there people or family or or coaches that helped you learn to love the game? Was it was it players you watched? What what was like your earliest memory you remember of loving the sport? Uh, I always knew we'd always we'd always take two weeks off and go visit um, both sets of my grandparents up up in Minnesota uh, in the. I always remember, like, the highlight of that trip was always we'd go to a Twins game. Um, so that was kind of, you know, my, my big thing. We never really went when the other teams were playing because who vacations in Minnesota in the winter? So, sure. you know, it was, it, was always, it was always July and August. And, you know, the, the highlight of the trip was the Twins game. I remember my first game was 1998. LaTroy Hawkins was the starting pitcher that day. Uh, I remember that. I think Paul Molitor was in the lineup, uh, still still playing. So, sure. But you know, I just remember like the highlight of my summer vacation was always getting to the Metrodome and going to see the mm-hmm. Twins. So that was you know something I'd look forward to all year, basically. And you know, baseball became my sport. That's awesome. So, did, uh, running with that, were you were you able to play? You said you were able to play in high school. Were you what? what position did you play and how long did you, were you able to play the sport of baseball if you even are still playing uh so un- unfortunately i'm not still playing i i took a partial scholar i was a pitcher uh right-handed i had a partial scholarship to play at sacred heart in in connecticut which is it's okay a low level division one program but unfortunately cool. i never got i never got on the mound in college because i had I had Tommy John surgery in the fall of my freshman year, uh, just throwing it around. My elbow started to hurt. And then you you look at it closely and you realize something's wrong. So that, mm-hmm. that took my freshman year away. And then everything was good right before my, my sophomore year. Um, we're, we're a couple weeks away from starting the season and I'm playing tennis with my, uh, my girlfriend now fiance and my Congrats. shoulder just popped popped out. It was the most freak accident. Mm-hmm. And so, and right after that, I'm like, okay, 
it's it's over. I'm not doing this anymore. So um, <laughs> I I I got to college because of baseball, and then I I never played after that. So that was that was unfortunate. Sure. Well, so other than following maybe the Twins or baseball as a whole. Are there were there other ways that you tried to stay connected before like social media became a thing? Yeah, um, I mean it's just it's base. You know, I feel like baseball is a sport that everybody because it, it's half the year. It's a six month season, so everybody kind of mm-hmm. has to somewhat follow it. I feel like even if it's mm-hmm. it's super casual, you you have it on in the house is kind of background noise. You're doing it like everybody seems to know a little something about baseball. So it, it's a way to, I think, connect to people, to anybody. I know, like, that was kind of growing up. We'd always have just a baseball game on whatever whatever game we could get. And even if, you know, we're only half paying attention, you can still see what's going on. So it's it's always such a good way to connect to people and, and get to know them better. Sure. Well, yeah, so I, um, I bring this up because I, I worked in uh, – independent baseball for a little bit. I, I worked for a team in Brockton, Massachusetts, and I, I loved my time out there. You said Connecticut. I was just curious, like, the type of fandom that I saw for people that lived in Massachusetts and the crazy, <laughs> uh, it, it basically, running their life in terms of baseball and needing to be around it was a little bit more manic in some ways, and I, I saw typically fans in the Midwest of not just the Twins, but of, of baseball in general. And I'm I'm curious if you've seen a different types of fandom in different places you've lived. I guess. Yeah, the crazy thing about Connecticut was you get this mix of Mets, Yankees, Red Sox, mm-hmm. all all kind of mixing. It's just this perfect storm. I know. Um, Sacred Heart, it's kind of in the suburbs of New York City, actually. So it's it's mm-hmm. a little more it's it's a lot a lot of Yankee heavy. But sure. um, the 2013 World Series was when I was in college, so the you know the Red Sox fans all kind of come out and and have their moment. But I think that kind of brings it out a lot a lot in people because when when you got two rival teams like the Mets and Yankees or the Yankees and Red Sox, their fans are both right there. They're both present. You know, it really brings out the fan in a lot of people. And it, it's sometimes fun to watch as an observer as a team that was mostly a last-place team for those years. Sure. Well, and I, I even compare it to – so I um, – most of 2006, some of 2005 into 2006, and all of 2006, um, I lived in Massachusetts. And I, I just remember meeting a lot of fans, generally of baseball, who who were coming out to the independent team that I worked for. Um, who could name every Red Sox on the 25-man roster and every minor leaguer on every affiliate, it seemed like, and then couldn't point out where, because I'd say I'd, I was from Minnesota originally, I could, couldn't point out where Minnesota was on a map. It was just interesting <laughs> the type of knowledge that people, that's that's what kind of stuck with me, how much knowledge people had of baseball and not of just general <laughs> general geography more than anything that's not that you need to know where everything is but i just that's kind of stuck with me that that notion that people could be that much into a sport and i thought that was really neat yeah no i definitely like you know the whole like every boston sport those fans are just some of the most over the top it's it's cool in some (laughs) ways it's annoying in some ways but you know it's their thing sure well yeah so do you other other than the twins, do you have like a favorite? Um, I'm I'm always curious. Like, if you have, do you have favorite stadiums or or ballparks that you have attended, either major league or minor league or or unaffiliated, any anything along those lines that you you have a favorite like memory? Yeah, uh, I remember like the first the first ballpark I went to that wasn't the Metrodome, which I mean I'm sure you've been there at least you know, a few times that, that wasn't that, that mm-hmm. great. And the, the no. first ballpark I went to that, <laughs> totally. that wasn't, the, that wasn't the Metro dome was, was Coors field in, in Denver. 
And that okay. kind of opened my eyes to how cool baseball stadiums could be. Cause I'm like, Whoa, like I've been going there for all these, you know, for all these years. And mm-hmm. now, now we're out here in the Rockies and you know, this stadium's beautiful. And you know, that, that was a little bit of a disappointment of the Metro dome, but, um, <laughs> and then since then, I think my coolest baseball experience as a fan was, I was at the 2006 all-star game in Pittsburgh and PNC okay. Park's beautiful. Uh, sure. so that's probably my favorite favorite park I've been to, and then you know you see all these all stars, and you know it was a it was a great game. You know Trevor Hoffman blew a save, uh, and then Mariano Rivera came in and got the save, and you know you got all these all stars, and that was really probably my number one moment as a baseball fan. I know it's the only time I saw Johan pitch in person, and I think he had okay. a you know a came in had a two strikeout inning, which at his peak was really cool to see. Um, mm-hmm. So that was that was quite the time for a for a young baseball fan. Sure, and and there's nothing wrong with saying that the Metrodome was not a world class facility by any means. No, there were good memories no. because the Twins won some during that time that they were there, but it was not. Uh, I, I would say it was just a dump basically, but it, there were good memories, and if you were a fan of the team, there were memories that were positive. But it was not a good place to watch a baseball game. No. <laughs> Say the least. <laughs> so yeah, uh I, I guess I, we can get started on the on the show depending on your or not depending on um kind of going along with what you do with your cold twins takes. I was curious on kind of the takes generally are there some that kind of annoy you more than others or are like how do you how do you come up with, like, what do you, sorry, I'm I'm rambling a little. How do you come <laughs> up with what you're going to write about, like, finding two, three, four-year-old Twitter takes? Like, how do you set out to do what you do when you're going to write something on, on your Twitter account? A lot of it, it, it's basic keyword search. Like, if you just type in malware and bad – you get a lot of stuff that comes up, you know, you don't have to type in everything, but it's, you know, you can, you can find some stuff with a good dig there. Um, the off season was a little, was a little tougher than I thought because I had to go back and search for a lot more stuff. It's a lot easier in the regular season when like Kyle Gibson's pitching and you can just find easy off the top, just, you know, a bunch of people going, yep, we're going to lose today. Kyle Gibson's pitching <laughs> or, you know, so, something like that. And, you know, Kyle Gibson's not the best pitcher. They oddly seem to score 20 runs every time you pitch this year, which sure always helps. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the offseason, it, it's more of just basic keyword search, you know, name, terrible. You know, I think when Jorge <laughs> Polanco was starting, starting to turn around, I just typed in Polanco DFA, and then a bunch of stuff would come up. So uh, it's, it's a lot, just a lot of keyword search. Okay, and and is it typically like a random day you pick? Like if if somebody's not in the news for good or bad news, do you just kind of randomly today I'm going to search for this person, or is there a a method to the madness of of what you're searching for? Uh, a lot of time I'm I'm looking for Joe Mauer stuff a lot. I like him. Mm-hmm. Also, if you want to call me an apologist, I'm a Joe Mauer apologist. Uh, you know, I'm I'm looking for him a lot. And then I don't know why I seem to I seem to lean heavy on the Ryan Presley apologist side. Okay. I didn't even notice. I I, I looked down my timeline once. I'm like, man, I really come to this guy's defense a lot. Uh, <laughs> so I guess I'm a Ryan Presley apologist without without realizing it. But um, I think it'll become easier once the season starts and kind of dictates topics. Sure. Well, I know just in the last couple of days you've written quite a bit about. Um, Miguel Sano and people needing to give him a more of a chance than just throwing him away, I guess, for better or worse. But um, ha- have there been takes that you've defended that people have, um, I don't know if defended equally back is the right term, but aggressively gotten back at you and your Twitter account? Yeah. I mean, so, some people spat back, um, but I think in the case of Miguel Sano, I don't think he's going to eat his way out of baseball. 
I think at at the very worst because he he has so much natural talent. So at the at the very mm-hmm. worst, Miguel Sano is just dude who hits you know who hits home runs, draws a couple walks because he's got a good eye, and he's a guy who can contribute on a good lineup, just not an all-star. Not a, I think that's the worst-case scenario for him right now. And that's still mm-hmm. not a bad player when you think about it. I mean, because he was a top 10, top 5 prospect in all of baseball at one point, you'd ideally like him to be an all-star every year, hitting 40 home runs and, you know, 280 with a high on-base percentage. But, you know, if he's just hitting 30 home runs with a 250 average and a decent on-base percentage, like, he's still a good player. That's still not something you want to throw away. It's just mm-hmm. it's a disappointment because of what you, what his ceiling was, but his floor is still really high. And it's, it's something you saw it in low level division one baseball. You saw it so much. A guy would come in bragging about how many offers he had from like, you know, this school and that like higher schools and mm-hmm. the kid's ridiculously talented. And he's like, I just wanted to play right away. And then that mm-hmm. kid hits 310 his first year. He's, you know, an all-conference, all-freshman team for the conference. And he doesn't get, you know, he plateaus. He just has that same couple years. He doesn't really get better. He just, he's kind of just there. He's booking on his natural talent. He's getting by that way. And he's a good player. You can't really complain because he's helping you. But you look at the guy and you go, well, it could have been better, but I'll still take this. And I think the worst case scenario for Miguel Sano is something that you'll take in the end. Sure. And, and for me, like you're saying, worst case, worst case Sano isn't out of baseball, like you say, but worst case for a lot of fans, see Miguel Sano and say, you're not necessarily Pablo Sandoval. And like you said, you're way out of baseball. I don't think he's going to be that, but I think worst case scenario is somebody like a Mark Reynolds who kind of bounces around and doesn't really have a all-star path that many people kind of foreshadowed he would because of his natural talent, like you said. So it's almost for me, I can see why people are frustrated where he has a clear path to be a many-time all-star and potentially in the MVP discussion if he can stay healthy and play a defensive position. But if he's getting to the point where he isn't able to stay on the field or, or isn't able to play defense well enough to warrant staying on the field, then he just doesn't have the same value. But he still would, um, my belief, is have a long and productive major league career if that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, if he's your DH for a decade and he's, you know, producing in the middle of the lineup, that's not a bad thing. You Again, you want him to be better, but... You know, mm-hmm. and the thing is, like, people are afraid of releasing Kenny's Vargas and having him become David Ortiz. Like, what's going to – if they think somebody can fix Kenny's Vargas, like an undrafted free agent who worked mm-hmm. his way up a really bad farm system, like, what do they think can possibly happen to a top five – guy who came up top five prospect in baseball, like, who's had a high 20 home run season where he missed the last month and a half with a, you know, a shin injury. He was an all-star sure. last year. He, he was second in the home run derby last year. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if you're going to be afraid of Kenny's Vargas going off and becoming a star, like you should be terrified of Miguel Sano doing that. Yeah. And, and that's my hope. My hope for Sano is that he can be close to average defensively at third base. And if he can hold down third base, maybe not gold, not gold glove level, but at least average, then he has a ton of value where they can get a real DH like Logan Morrison in, and that just extends the lineup. So there's more good hitters across the board, basically. But if Sano is unable to play a defense position is just at DH, then then they have to search and find a third baseman or a first baseman going forward to play the position that he is not able to. Yeah, and the thing about Sano is, like, I don't like having a David Ortiz type in the lineup who's only a DH. I like having, you know, some flexibility so you can do different stuff on different days. It's easier to give guys rest. Like, this year it looks like Logan Morrison's going to get the most at-bats at DH, but any day he can play first base and Joe Maurer can DH. You know, Joe Maurer can take the day off. Or, you, you know, you have 
so many options. You know, every backup infielder they have can seemingly play everywhere. You know, Robbie Grossman can have a 350 on base percentage and, you know, mm-hmm. play corner outfield. So right now their lineup is so flexible. But if Sano is a DH and only a DH, you lose so much flexibility right there at that extra spot in the batting order. And that's why it's so important for Miguel Sano. Like you said, not a gold glove third baseman, just don't lose games with your defense. Like that's, that's all you need to ask. Be better than me on defense. And I'm terrible. (laughs) Like just be average. We're not asking for anything more than that. Just be enough so we can trust you to hold a glove and not, hurt the team out in the field basically that's that's my hope for him and if he can do better than that great yeah and like I'm not going to criticize because I was a terror I was terrible at fielding my position I would <laughs> I mean because in and I, I, I'm six foot five and I had a you know a very you know I had a lot of motion in my lineup so I'd I'd end up like three four feet off the mound just from my you know so you you bumped a dribbler the other way, and there's no there's no shot I'm getting to it. So every every coach I ever had was like, you got to be able to field bunt. I couldn't field bunts, like I couldn't field my position. I, you know, I was so far away from first base sometimes, like I couldn't get over there to cover. It was, you know, I'm just moving in every direction. So <laughs> I can't personally, you know, I, I know what it's like to be a ter- you know, a defensive liability, but just. <laughs> Be okay. Like, don't lose games with your defense. Sure. All right. So I'm I'm trying to picture in my head what your pitching motion was like. Is there somebody a pitcher that you would compare how your motion was like to, just so people can picture how you fall off the mound? Like, I'm I'm sort of trying to picture maybe a Mitch Williams, but you said you were a right-handed, so that wouldn't make as much yeah, sense. Yeah. Like. So basically, like when my back leg kind of came, like my I would just like basically swing my whole back leg around. Okay. Uh, so my my right foot's on the rubber, and then you know I I kick, I deliver, and then like I basically would turn around. I'm I'm like facing for I'm like running towards the first base dugout by the end of it. So you could bun it up <laughs> the third base line. I'm not getting there. Like I have to like, and again like I'm you know a little on the heavy side. So like, I'd have to like slow my momentum just going in one direction. And I'd have to like turn, like just, you know, do a 90 degree turn and then start running to first base if I had to cover it. So it was, <laughs> I definitely, you know, it's just a lot of motion with that back leg, probably a little too much, but you know, it was just to get a lot behind. I, I was trying to throw the ball hard. So it was just putting all sure. my weight behind it. Yeah, that's the way that I was. I, I pitched in high school too, and a little bit after I didn't pitch for college, but I, um, I'm not comparing. But I was right-handed too, and you you try to use your back foot to push for momentum to try to use more of your body weight to get velocity behind the ball that you're throwing, and that makes sense. And I, I can I can picture it too, like you you pushing off to try to get as much as you can just makes sense in that moment. It completely does. You know, I, I mean, I was facing the first base dugout when I was done. It, it was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not, you're saying it's not something that you would, uh, you as a future pitching coach would teach to younger, younger, younger players. No. And, and I'm, I'm sure with the, the twins and all their, all their analytics that they're spending, you know, getting coaches, they're going to focus on analytics and, you know, release point and all this fancy stuff. Like they, they would have had a field day fixing me. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, I, I'm I'm curious. I, I wrote down a couple other names of just Twins players, but um, like Brian Dozier, he's somebody that I think a lot of people can have mixed feelings on in terms of if they should resign him or if they should trade him or if they should just let the year play out or what really the future holds. Is there a specific type of take that you think they should do, and then? try to defend I think you're kind of stuck with Dozier right now and you kind of have to let if he's not and it seemed like I think there were yesterday there were some comments that he was going to be a free agent or maybe the day before it was recently where it seemed like he's going down the path I don't think you can trade him at this point because you've gone out you've signed what what was it like six pitchers to major league contracts you've gotten Logan Morrison you've decided you're you're trying to build on the 85 wins so 
you're trying to move forward. I think you're stuck. You can't trade your all-star second baseman at this point. So he's going to finish um, unless there's unless the season's a disaster and they're so far back, but Brian Dozier's still playing well. I think Brian Dozier's finishing the season on the Twins, and they're kind of stuck there. Uh, I'd, I'd ideally like for him to be signed to an extension. I don't want to commit to him super long term. I you know three or four years maybe, but I think I don't know why Brian Dozier would be so willing to test the market after looking at this year's, but maybe he's hoping it's a little better. And because if the mar- if the free agent market's better next year for players, he's he's a guy who's going to be able to get paid handsomely. Yeah, and that's kind of where I met with him too. Generally, like he's a great player. He's more than likely the Twins' best hitter right now, and it's hard to maybe go forward and think a couple, three, four years that he still would be their best hitter. But I, I think it's it's hard to debate that he isn't their best hitter right now. But I'm with you. I think they play the year out. I don't see a way they can trade him for somebody that this year or even next year gives them more value than he will. So if they're if they're on pace to lose more than we an, anticipate, there might be a uh, um, a kind of a point where they would trade off some of their veterans. But I don't really see that happening. I think they're entering a window that they should be a potential playoff team at least for the next three, four, or five years if everything goes right and health is okay. I'm with, I'm with you. I'm fine with playing this year out, and even if they can't come to an agreement on a longer-term extension, offering him the qualifying offer and see if he would take it for 2019. Yeah, I feel like I mean that that's a lot of the qualifying offer is going to be a lot of money. I know you know the players like the long term; they like the security. But I mean, if you take that qualifying offer, you're you're getting paid a good amount of money, and you know, that, that's money he deserves. That's money he's earned. It's, he's been a, you know, a great – I remember when he came up, he was a shortstop. He was, you know, didn't have the power and he was a terrible defensive shortstop. But, you know, he's he's really become one of the better second basemen in baseball. It's been a fun – Brian Doge has been a fun guy to kind of watch develop. Sure, yeah. Uh, really learning how to use his his body efficiently when swinging to create the type of – pole power especially but he has power to all fields that he has while growing into a player when really in the minor leagues he was not a power hitter by any means he had good patience and was able to take a walk and get on base but he's become a a middle of the order type bat from well his choice it seems like the leadoff spot and I guess that's that's maybe I'm fine with him in the leadoff spot I think if I was in charge of the lineup and didn't take opinion into account. I'd, I'd look at him maybe as more of a number two hitter, but um, he he helps the team from however he hits just with the at-bats that he is able to take. Yeah, Logan Morrison definitely changed my opinion. I liked Dozier in the leadoff spot last year. I thought that was the good spot for him because I liked Robbie Grossman batting ninth with his good on-base percentage, mm-hmm. almost resetting the lineup sure. to like another leadoff hitter. But now that Robbie Grossman is not going to be an everyday player, you're going to have maybe Jason Castro, Mitch Garver batting down there. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's going to be a little different. You're not going to have the guy with the 350, 360 on base percentage there anymore. So now, now I'm I kind of think after the Morrison signing, like maybe Dozier would be a little better somewhere in the middle of the order, just because you know there's not going to be that leadoff hitter at the back of the lineup to almost reset it. Where last year you had that cushion, and I, I think it was something good to have, but. I mean, it's a good problem to have now that you don't have that luxury at the end because it means you added a potential 40 home run bat to the middle of the order. So I'm not complaining, but. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of the – I've read a few people putting their opinion down on what they they would do if, if they were drying up the regular lineup. Um, do, do you have thoughts on how you would place the lineup for the Twins this upcoming year? Uh, I look at it as – there absolutely should be a different lineup for facing a left-handed starter versus a right-handed starter. But do you have thoughts on where you'd put specific players or would you more leave it as fluid depending on the, the matchup? It's definitely fluid depending on the matchup, especially when you have a guy like Max Kepler, who 
can get hot. He can get streaky. He really doesn't hit lefties too well. Um, you know, occasionally he runs into one against a lefty and we're all surprised and we're all happy. But, um, you know, because you have some strong platoon guys in there, you know, who are better in, in certain situations against not even the hand, but, you know, if, you know, some guys are better against fastballs and, you know, you know, so it's, it's definitely something that should be fluid. It's something that, you know, you should, or Paul Molitor should be open to changing throughout the season as it goes on. Maybe he, you know, changes it a couple times in April, it settles in on something. I feel like that's what he did last year a little bit. It seemed to change a lot in April and kind of in the middle of the season when everybody was healthy, something got set and then, you know, people got hot and cold and it, it changed a lot last year. But I think it's going to be something that's going to be fluid all year. Sure. Well, so um, generally speaking about this off season that still is – I guess happening, even though spring training started. What what do you think about the Twins' off season and the moves that they have made so far? I really liked it. There's not, there's not. I mean, the Annabelle Sanchez move was kind of weird. I thought, um, and not not fully necessary. But outside of that, I really don't have a problem with any of their moves. I think when it comes to fans' opinions, it happened in completely the opposite order. Like the the first, I guess, quote unquote, <laughs> big move was. Michael Pineda, which nobody really liked because they're like, that's the pit, that's your pitching upgrade. Michael Pineda who's not going to pitch this year, you know, but when you look at it, I like the signing $2 million this year. I think $8 million the year after that when he's actually going to play. Um, but, you know, I think if, if that was maybe the cherry on top, the last thing you go like, all right, that's, that's a good future buy. I think if you started with Logan Morrison and Odorizzi and Addison Reed instead of Zach Duke, Fernando Rodney and Michael Pineda, I think the opinion would have been different. You know, people had to sit there waiting and I think they got anxious, but I think the finished product of the off season was really good. Sure. And, and do you, if you were GM of the twins, would you be done now or would you still be attempting to acquire another starter or another bat? That's a weird question to ask in March because there's still so much talent out there. And <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to go out and force myself to to go get a Lance Lynn or an Alex Cobb. I know they've apparently lowballed Lance Lynn, and who knows? Like maybe Lance Lynn's going to end up crawling back to them and be like, "Okay, I have to take this offer now because nobody else is there." Um, I don't know what's so. If that's the case, if you can get somebody on a really, really like team-friendly offer or just a one-year deal, because in my mind, there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. It's mm-hmm. something that you can't pass up on. Like if you can get Lance Lynn for a steal, you don't say no. Yeah. So in that case I would, but I'm not going to force myself to do anything. I'm not going to be like, I have to get Lance Lynn. I think what you can do is you can wait it out. And something that I've been talking about on my Twitter account, the Houston Astros won 84 games in 2016. They did almost nothing in the off season. They, you know, switched out Jason Castro for Brian McCann. They added Carlos Beltran, who was, by the end of the season, a complete, complete shell of a future Hall of Fame player. Sure. They added Charlie Morton, who doesn't move the needle. I know he had a pretty good postseason, but, again, you know, their big offseason move was trading away Pat Neshek, an all-star relief pitcher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then these, all these, this, young, this team of young guys came up, and they contended, and they rewarded them with Justin Verlander. And I think this young Twins team can look around. They'll know. Like, this this front office has shown. They'll go out and help them if they show their contenders. I think you should be confident in that at this point. So if the Twins get to June or July and they're neck and neck with the Indians, this front office is going to do something. I'm confident in that right now. If you get to the trade deadline and you're 10 games behind the Indians – I think this front office has the right to just sit down and be like, well, if, if we get a guy to maybe help us compete with the Indians, we're still maybe playing a wild card game. But I think if, if you're right there, if you're neck and neck, they'll put you over the top if you can get there. So it's up to this young team. It's up to Buxton and Rosario and Polanco to all repeat these awesome second halves they had. It's up to, you know, Barreos to get better, Mejia to get better. It's, you know, up to a prospect to come up and shine and do well as a rookie. So 
I think it, you you put it up to the team, and then you make a splash, you know, at the deadline or something. Yeah, that's what I'm starting to lean to. Like you said, if you can get Lance Lynn, for example, on a super cheap, maybe one-year deal, uh, you do that and don't look bad. But I, maybe I'm naive, but I, I kind of feel like there's not a non-zero chance that a healthy Phil Hughes could be as good for a few months as Lance Lynn would be. I don't see Lance Lynn as a top-of-the-rotation arm. I see him as a good arm, a solid middle-to-back-end rotation guy that can give you some innings, but I don't I don't know that he necessarily will do a lot more than that. And I, I'm kind of with you where I'd rather see if the Twins are in contention for a playoff spot come early-mid-June. And if they are, which we, as fans, I guess, assume they can be, if they are in the position where they can make a real move at that point, I, I kind of hope they do uh, attempt to acquire a more top of the rotation arm and or top, like real, real top end reliever, something like that to help the team make that push towards the playoffs in the last third of the year, I guess. That's, that's my hope. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something like, and look, if if they're sitting at 500 on July 31st, there's you can't look here and say a 500 team was, oh, they were an ace away. Like, you know, they were an ace away from, like, maybe competing for the division, having a toss-up, you know, a coin flip. Are they going to beat the Indians or not? If they're, mm-hmm. you know, if they're right there, if they're neck and neck with the Indians, that's when you say, like, okay, like, we're neck and neck with them now. We'll get the pitcher and put us over the top and we'll we'll blow by them and, even that's, you know, a bit of an assumption. But people forget the Yankees last year were winning the division on July 31st. And they got mm-hmm. Tony Gray, and they got Todd Frazier, and they got Canely and Robertson. and They didn't win the division. And the Twins were mm-hmm. under 500 at the trade deadline. They were, you know, like there were five teams between them and the wild card spot. And they sold their all-star closer, and they sold Jaime Garcia after one spot. And another guy the Yankees picked up. And mm-hmm. the Twins wound up turning around and winning the wild card. So even at the trade deadline, there's no promises to how, you know, how it's going to turn out. But I definitely think it's – you're more comfortable being the buyers if you're, you know, within a game or of two of the Indians or maybe even ahead or tied. Or if you're right there, that's when you make the move. And if, if you're behind them, you can look at it and say, like, all right, well, we just got to – the young guys have to get better next year. Like they can't sit there relying on somebody to come save them. They have to do it themselves. Sure. Well, so are there specific players on the team that you think that you have? So you mentioned Polanco Kepler. There's so many young, decent to good solid hitters that should be entering their prime pretty soon on the team. And that, that for me is why I'm, as excited about them as anything, just to have a lineup that is young and homegrown and able to grow together. Are there some players that you are more excited of um, for the team than others as far as making that next step this year? I don't think it's so much a next step for a lot of them as everybody had a great second half, it seemed like. They were all August 1st to the end of the regular season. Everybody seemed to be playing great. And I think because of that, you just need – six months of that instead of two months because you know there was talk at some point like do we send Buxton back down when he was batting you know a flat 200 at some point in June or you know Rosario Mm -hmm. had a cold stretch and Kepler can't hit lefties and you know again Polanco had maybe the worst stretch of anybody on the team at one point there but I think it's just it's all a consistent six months from everybody and the one wild card I guess is is Mitch Garver and how much you know how much time is he going to be able to play as as the backup catcher? I'm I'm assuming he gets that job, but he's what? He's like 27, and mm-hmm. he's going to be a rookie. And if you have six years of team control of Mitch Garver right now at 27, when he's 33 and coming out of that, like this is a guy that if he can be a solid catcher for six years, you're never going to have to pay him that much. And by the end of it, his you know as the wear and tear of being a catcher gets on him. You know, that could be a guy, a huge asset of somebody you never really have to pay who can mm-hmm. help you immensely because he does have a ton of talent. I mean, he's 
raked at every minor league level. I know he struggled when he was up last year with the Twins, but this is a guy that I think can be a huge asset for you, both you know in the checkbook and on the field, just the whole package in terms. I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star or anything, but his total value as a player can go a very long way. Sure. Well, how, so how confident are you in the Twins' potential playoff uh, chances this year? Are you, are you a fan that thinks the division is within reach? Are you are you thinking that they have a chance to win a playoff series? Like, because I, I, I look at it as the Yankees, Red Sox, Astros, Indians, to a certain extent, are are kind of the cream of the crop, but the Twins can certainly get to that level. If they're if they're if they're playing well, there's no doubt that they can't. But I don't know if they still are are a few horses away, so to speak, from really being in that upper echelon. The the thing the good thing is, I mean, there was there was only five teams in the American League last year above 500. The Twins were one of them. I don't feel like many teams got better in this very slow off season. That could change mm-hmm. because there's still a lot of talent out there somebody's still going to make these moves and get better. But, I mean, the Angels got Otani, who I liked. I was upset that he didn't come to the Twins. I, I would have been sure. excited for Agreed. him. But he's, he's still a wild card. Like, you know, there's still no guarantees with anybody coming over. And some, some people who come over from Asia are, are superstars. Himatsui is the Ichiro's, you know. Some come over and they're they're not good. The Nishioka and, and Park and those guys. But, you know, I feel like Otani can be a difference maker for the Angels. He can also be an average pitcher and an average hitter rolled into one or, you know, mm-hmm. something worse. You, so, you know, that's the Angels are a team that could be there. But I don't feel like many teams immediately behind them got immensely better. So I feel like just repeating last season can be good enough for the Twins. I feel like their additions have made them a little bit better. So I think they have – they have a better chance at making a run at Cleveland this year, especially if Cleveland doesn't win, what, 22 games in a row? Whatever yeah. they did last year, that was ridiculous. So <laughs> um, I give them much better odds this year, but I'd, I'd still favor the Indians to win the division with the roster right now. Yeah, that makes sense, and I'm with you. I, I think Cleveland's pitching rotation and bullpen are just so much beyond what the Twins still have, and I think they have the potential to be good at some point, but they don't have Kluber, they don't have Cody Allen, they don't have Andrew Miller. Like Those are just guys that are just better than the players the Twins have in in terms of pitching, and to get better, they have to get to the point where they can develop their own pitching. That's That's kind of my opinion. So hopefully over the next year or two, three years, the Twins can find a player that can be there Corey Kluber rather than necessarily trading or signing that guy in the market like somebody that they can draft and develop their own would be I believe the best way to to acquire a an ace level pitcher I guess <clears throat> yeah and the one thing is I do like the twins pitching pitchers in the farm system right now I remember when Kyle Gibson came up a c- couple years ago um, I was actually at one of his first, uh, I think it was his second career start. It was at Yankee Stadium, and I was impressed. He pitched pretty well that day. I remember the Twins won. And I remember I was like, okay, like, this is good. This guy's this guy has something going for him. And I remember looking back through the farm system, and I'm like, oh, my God, there are zero pitchers. There are zero major <laughs> league starting pitchers left in this farm system after Kyle Gibson. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying anybody in the Twins system is going to become an ace right now. But I look at, you know, there's four or five guys in there that I look at, okay, you are at least a major league starter right now in the system. You know, in the farm system, you see, you know, Fernando Romero, Zach Littell, who I really like coming up from Jaime Garcia, and, mm-hmm. you know, so on. Just You know, there's four or five guys that I look at, and I'm like, okay, this guy can be a major league starter. It's not like years in the past where you could not find a major league starter in there, so... Even if there's mm-hmm. no ace, I do like the direction the Twins are moving in. Their farm system is definitely getting better. Yeah, I, I was going to bring up Zach Littell. He's somebody that his numbers are basically video game worthy. Like, what, what do you like about Zach Littell and, and his potential future? I mean, again, it's something that 
you know, I think he flew under the radar because the Yankees farm system is absolutely loaded. So I think they were just kind of saying like, sure, this guy, like you, you can have him. Um, and they, they can afford to do that. And, but I think in terms of a guy that you got for a middle, you know, mid rotation starter, who's got some playoff experience, who's been in big games, uh, won some big games. He's, you know, I thought it was a fantastic get by the twins. You know, what was he 19 and one last year? And, High mm-hmm. A and in Double A, something like that. So it's crazy. And the only time I've actually watched them is, you know, an inning here, an inning there, on, you know, in spring training. So I don't really know fully what to expect. But he seems like some like that seems like a trade that might become a massive steal for the Twins down the road. Sure, and and I I fully expect him to make his major league debut at some point this year. And I get it as most major league teams use at least at the minimum 10 or 11 pitchers to start at least one game in a year. That's what the Dodgers and Astros both did last year. It just is kind of a good thing to have depth. It's, there's so many things that can happen. A player can get a uh, injury that makes him out for a week or get suspended or, or just not be healthy because the human body's not built to throw a, a baseball overhand that hard. But um, knowing they have – decent depth ready at AAA in terms of Gonsalves and Romero and Mattel and Aaron Sleggers and a few others that absolutely will make a start or more this year at the major league level is really, it leaves me being optimistic knowing that they have that sort of depth rather than having to go and hand the ball to guys that are career minor leaguers and probably don't have potential um, ongoing like they have had to do in recent years. Yeah, I definitely feel good about their spot start ability this year. Um, I mean, last year when when Nick Turley took the ball, you know, <laughs> you just you just looked at it like, oh, he was in the Atlantic League last year. Like, great. Like, or like you know, Dil- Dylan G, who was mm-hmm. actually quietly good out of the bullpen. You had mm-hmm. to ask him to start a couple games, and, and it was it was rough. But you know, I I feel like you know people who are going to spot start like Felix Jorge, who has major league experience now, I think he can come up and, you know, maybe if you need a start, he can give you a good start. Sleggers can do that. Uh, Littell maybe. So, you know, there's going to be those weeks where, Hey, you just need an extra arm up there to throw a hundred pitches and, you know, maybe go back down after. But I feel like those aren't going to be throwaway games this year. You know, when you got Nick Tepich up there and, you know, Mm -hmm. giving you three innings and then taxing the bullpen, you know, I'm confident that, the Twins have guys who can give you the six innings and not destroy the bullpen for the next day when they need, you know, a spot starter too. Sure. All right. Well, so one last Twins-specific question. You you said you're a Maurer fan. I absolutely have always been a Maurer fan too and uh, an apologist to a certain extent. What Where where do you see Joe Maurer um, playing baseball next year? My gut feeling tells me he's going to be on this team still. I feel like Maurer's reasonable enough that he will take a he will take a pay cut just to have a major league con. You know, and obviously he'll have to take a pay cut no matter where he goes. But mm-hmm. you know, I feel like if the Twins come to him and just say, "Hey, here's a here's a one year deal with a vesting option for the if you can stay on the field." be our first baseman for another, you know, year or two. And maybe, you know, he might be able to get more on the open market. But I feel like if the Twins just come to him and offer him a major league contract, give him a spot, tell him he's going to start at first base, you know, with an option for the second year, I feel like Maurer's not going to say no. I feel like he won't test the market unless the Twins aren't interested. But I I do believe him when he says he wants to play baseball next year and, you know, He's from St. Paul. He's he's been here his whole career. So I feel like he's I feel like he's destined to play at least another year or two of the Twins at a much cheaper cost. Yeah, I, I kind of am with you. I think I, I think if he wants to play and is still productive, I think he'll be a Twin for the rest of his career. That's kind of how I look at it. I, I feel like he can be. Uh, handled contract-wise sort of like David Ortiz was, where it was a year-to-year thing, and if you still want to play, we welcome you back. That's kind of how I view Maurer. Not that he – I don't view him as somebody that is going to 
put the hammer down and say, I need a four year extension right now or I'm leaving. It's I don't I don't view him as that sort of personality. No, I mean he definitely I mean his kind of laid back aw shucks kind of way. It seems like it's it's perfect for this point of a career when he'll just be like, I'm comfortable here, I like it here. I got my corner locker, um, you know it's it's something, and you know, I think the fans will even the fans who don't really like Joe Maurer as as much, you know, the ones who don't like the contract. I feel like if he comes back and he's only making, you know, a couple million dollars and hitting even like two eighty, drawing some walks, and you know, hitting the occasional home run, I th- I think playing good defense, I feel like people would like that, you know, just another bat in the lineup. He's always going to lengthen a lineup, you know, as, as long as he's healthy, he'll, he'll always have that ability. Sure. Well, yeah, so um, getting back to your Twitter account, I was curious, do you ever make a point to look for takes that people have had on Twitter that you agree with, just to go back and say, this was a good take three years ago. Do do you search for that, or do you want your account more to be, this was a terrible take, and I need to show this person that this was a terrible take? I think I, I've started more to if somebody, you know, if somebody says something, I think I, I'm putting my own personal takes out there more. And I have, if you, I've, it, it's not a lot. I have cold take myself on occasion on the account <laughs> where like I've Fair. said something, it happened more during the season in games where I was like, Hey, look at this, this happened. And then like something that contradicted it would happen, you know, an inning later. And I'd be like, oops, never mind, Like, so I mean I've I've def- but I've definitely more in you know in recent weeks I've more gotten my opinion out there like I said that thing about comparing us to the Astros and mm-hmm. I think I'm kind of using it to exp- you know instead of just waiting for something to happen and then going like wrong I've kind of put my opinion on it more often and again that that's going to make it more easy for it to backfire and, and I have to cold take myself but I'm always going to keep myself honest I will get myself if if I have it coming I'm. I'm not immune to this. That's awesome. Well, yeah, so um, this hour has gone fast. I, I I wanted to first just thank you for making the time to come on here and chat, but uh, before we end it, are you, could you put your, do you, do you want to just say your name and, and your Twitter account one more time so if people want to connect with you, they're able to do that? Yeah, so I'm um, Matthew Burke. Um <clears throat> That that's my name. Um, yeah, Matt, Matthew Burke, and it's at Twins Cold Takes on Twitter. Uh, give me a follow. You know, if if you ever got a take, you know, just shoot takes. If if you're feeling you know risky, you want to get it out there, and you know, if you tweet if you tweet a take directly at me, and it, it's right there for me, and, and you're spot on, I will I'll get you up there with a little fire emoji, you know, a little, little hot take. I can <laughs> tell you that much. And as always, you know, if you see a cold take out there, like pass it along too. I always appreciate that. So uh, love interacting with people. Um, I know you're one of the better ones, so I always appreciate that. But any interaction, I I like it. So I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, it's fun. And uh, social media really is just, it's it's new to me and it's fun to be able to talk to people and, and chat about things that you're interested in and, I don't I don't know that childhood me had that same opportunity, so I appreciate being able to meet and chat with people like, like yourself yeah. who also like baseball. At the end of the day we're all twins fans. We all like baseball. We're all one one happy family of twins fans who's, you know, kind of been miserable together for the last decade or so or <laughs> you know, at least seven years of ninety plus losses, so you know, it's it's about it's about to get fun for us, I think. So I, I'm 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 excited for the season. I haven't been this anxious for a season to start in a while. You know, I'm always excited, but now I'm more just anxious. I'm like, I don't want spring training. I want I want the real thing right now because <laughs> I have expectations this year, which can backfire on me. But I have expectations this year. Sure. No, I'm with you. I'm I'm excited for the year to start and to have baseball on the TV or watch it, watch it in person. It's, it's, it's pretty great. I'm, I'm with you there. So yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Uh, Anyway, Matthew, thank you for coming on. I appreciate your time and able to chat here and, and I hope 
everyone listening had a had a good time listening to this podcast. It was fun to be a part of. You know, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I really appreciate you having me on. It was always always good to talk about baseball with anybody. I don't care who it is, you know, where it is, you know, baseball. That that that's my thing. So I love it. Yeah, same. So thank you again. Have have a good night, and um, let's chat again soon. Yeah, definitely. All right. You have a good night now. Thanks.